0: Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice so welcome to the teacher's story enjoy hi welcome to the teacher's story i'm jackie scully and today we have raya bidshari with us she's the founder and ceo of school of humanity an international online school that's reinventing education and curriculum focusing on personalizing curriculum for students This is Real 21st Century Learning, and I'm so excited to get into this interview and learn more about your background and the school.
1: Thank you, Jackie, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: So my first question for you is what inspired you to get into education?
1: So my journey into the education space came pretty accidentally. I actually, you know, growing up was uh, was, was under the impression I was under the to become a scientist. I've always loved science and uh, neuroscience in particular, captivated uh, my attention and inspired me when I was in high school. So I was actually doing my undergraduate degree in neuroscience at Boston University. And the pivot into education came very much through uh, pain points uh, that I faced uh, as a learner, uh, which was actually a series of pain points going through the education system and not being completely satisfied uh, with my experience. Um, so for me, I've always been someone who loved learning, hated schools, and hated my university experience. Um, the parts that I absolutely hated was the significant emphasis on memorization towards exams, um, the uh, lack of real world connections and learning, large class sizes sometimes. Uh, and so yeah, my pivot into education really came because I felt like there needed to be a better way to do something that I actually would
0: want. Yeah, I can relate to you um, as far as like high school, I did not enjoy it at all. And i never liked the idea of again, memorizing for a test. And there's still so many schools doing it that way, like globally, I wouldn't just say like, you know, I'm here in America. Like, I think there are more schools that are coming online that are trying to do it a different way, more personalized. I think the pandemic had a big part of that but there's still so many that are focusing on really the 20th century learning that we've seen for so long. So I understand those pain points. Um, What then became this inspiration to start School of Humanity? I mean, that's such a big undertaking to start a new school and kind of give a little bit of the background of the foundation of starting this school.
1: Yeah, so when I first made that pivot and transition I spoke about earlier, it wasn't necessarily to start a school. I kind of just wanted to go in and really try to uh, create platforms and solutions that would teach other young minds the skills that I felt like needed to be embedded into, into the formal education space. So in, with my last organization or company, I was really focusing on a supplementary education space. So really trying to fill in the gaps in the school curriculum and collaborating with private public schools as we did that and um a few years of doing that despite many successes i found that to be a really frustrating experience uh for a couple of reasons one i found that you know no matter how meaningful this these extracurricular programs were they weren't really solving the problem at the root cause uh they were kind of a band-aid on on a wound and they weren't really helping change the system per se. And in fact, as long as we had a system that would incentivize certain pathways and incentivize certain structures, whether it's examinations or standardization, it didn't matter how many innovative extracurriculars we had, uh, the system would still prioritize those more outdated things. So um, really the, the desire to then start to think about starting a school Came from being inspired by other really progressive and innovative schools that were emerging around the world that were truly systemically changing things. They were reimagining the curriculum, reimagining how we learn, redesigning the school day and the school structure, all with keeping in mind what would actually serve learners in today's world and better equip them for uh, the purpose of education in today's world. The challenge with a lot of these progressive schools is that they were often isolated examples uh, here and there, and they hadn't scaled globally, whereas the need and the pain was felt by families globally. So the School of Humanity really came from this desire to take these systems, move them online, and scale this kind of progressive learning to the world.
0: Yeah, and I think that when you take it to reaching as many students as possible. Like we talk about, there's so many equity issues in education and that, you know, students are not getting the same kind of resources or the same kind of, you know, educators and their background and experience. And so I think if you're really going to change this systemically, you do have to reach as many kids as possible. And I think also having flexibility, I am a big proponent of having flexible schedules. I, you know, the school schedule in traditional model, it is like you're on a conveyor belt and you're going from class to class to class. There's no interconnection or weaving. Students still see them like in their boxes and they're just stressed out and they're tired. And then they don't have time in the day to do the actual work they wanna do. So then they're up till two in the morning doing homework. I mean, we probably remember that in high school and college. Can you share a little bit about the curriculum or just like a day in the life of a student and what that might feel like, just to give us an example?
1: Absolutely. And I absolutely share your frustration. I think it's unethical the way that we organize uh, the average student's schedule. Like we put them through back to back classes with a few breaks from what 8 a.m. to 2 to 3 p.m. And then we tell them, okay, now you have tons of homework and stuff you need to do. It's, if, if you did that to any adult, if you tell them you're going to be in meetings all day for eight hours and then you're going to have all this work to do after work hours, you know, they would quit. So it's, it's completely understandable uh, why so many learners are unhappy with, with the way the education system is today. So, yeah, to your question about about our curriculum um, and, and the week and the like. So we decided not to adopt any of the traditional exam based um, existing curriculum out there. And reason being is a lot of these curriculum were designed to be knowledge focused rather than skill focused. They were designed to be tested in a specific way, and a lot of them have just foundational areas that we believe are outdated uh, as well. So, we designed our own unique curriculum called the Human Literacies Framework. It's an interdisciplinary curriculum that focuses on knowledge, skills, and mindsets from a, a couple of different domains, such as creativity, discovery. Uh, flourishing society, thought, um, quantitative skills, technology, and more. And essentially the way that learners work towards the outcomes or the standards from the human literacy framework is through embarking on interdisciplinary challenges every term. So this term they embarked on social entrepreneurship and designing space habitats. Uh, next term uh, we're doing protecting our oceans and maintaining global peace. So really it's a curriculum that's centered around the sustainable development work goals and, and global issues. And um, they also, you know, other components of the curriculum is that we do a lot of real world learning. They have mentors that they get matched with industry mentors that guide them throughout the process. They also have uh, micro, micro internships every term towards the end of the term. And uh, in addition to that, we have um, a human flourishing curriculum that gets at the center that focuses on social, emotional intelligence and somatic intelligence well. um, Lastly, in terms of the week in the life, the way that we've structured the schedule is they have about three hours of workshops, four days a week. The rest of it is flexible. Uh, and it's self-paced learning. If they want to do that self-paced learning in the morning or in the evening, it's completely up to them. Of course, there is some structure and deadlines and accountability in place to help them stay on track. But this balance we hope allows for more time for focus and flow in the schedule too.
0: Yeah, I like the flexibility. And I think that it's reasonable to say you have like three hours, workshops, four days a week, that's great. Everyone's trying to move like the work industry to four days a week, right? Um, And then you use the time that makes sense to you. It also teaches them time management and their own accountability and their own sense of agency, which you need to have when you're an adult. I think also going back to what you mentioned about how our schedule in schools is unethical, I completely agree. We're also not setting them up to be adults. We're actually setting them up to be (laughs) a failure to launch, if you will, right? Like you will always have so much structure and so many people, you know, on top of you checking in on you that when you're 18 and you go to college or wherever you go after school, after high school, you're like, um, I'm, I'm used to so many people checking in on me and like having all of these markers and, and not all this time. So I think the flexibility is actually helpful, not just for their mental health, physical health, but also for being an adult. And I remember the reason we connected is through Claire Evans, and she presented at the Aero Conference in New York, um, summer of 2023. So that's how I learned about School of Humanity. And the one aspect that stood out to me the most was human flourishing, because I've talked about it on this podcast a lot. We need holistic education. We need to prioritize the social emotional learning, the EQ, um, financial literacy, right? all of that. And then the sustainable goals, just as much as you would do with any other academics. And I still think that it's a buzzword of we're doing social, emotional learning. And it's like maybe in a class or maybe in a couple lessons and it's not prioritized. And they're still considered like soft skills, which is like a word that always gets to me because I'm like, they're very important. That's how you flourish as a human. Um, Another question I was thinking about is kind of where you started with School of Humanity, how it's grown and like wh- where you see it going in the future. So just kind of like looking at the the life of this school and how it's growing.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more about the the importance of human flourishing. And I think for us to actually design an education system for human flourishing, we need to do two things really well. One is developing a curriculum that covers the areas that you mentioned, right? Like actually Teaching learners the skills, the tools, the mental models that will allow them to flourish in life. But the second piece is actually designing the system with flourishing in mind. And this goes back to like the schedule, and even you know the educators that you recruit, and giving designing opportunities for one on one coaching and guidance. And so, so, many, so much of human flourishing can be enabled by just changing the system, and not you know it's not enough to just update the curriculum in, in that case. Um, so coming to kind of the origins and, and the future of School of Humanity. So, you know, right now we, so when we first launched, we launched with 20 students, um, very small as most schools do. Um, we're now on track to hit 100 uh, within about two years of launching. And, you know, we hope to keep doubling beyond, beyond that. We've also increasingly started partnering with um, uh, schools and universities, schools, universities, governments that want to adapt adopt elements of our model and want to collaborate and bring in some of the work that we're doing within their existing system. So we've had a lot of requests on that front, and that's something we've been continuing to discuss and explore with, with our partners. Um, we're doing a couple of really interesting pilots. We're piloting what a micro-schooling model could look like for School of Humanity. We're exploring what, a, uh, what Learning Hub partnerships could look like, where learners are in, enrolled in us as an online high school, but also experiencing a more hybrid experience with uh, learning centers and in-person communities that we're partnering with. So lots of interesting, I would say, positive experiments and how this could scale is something that we're really looking at. Um, But yeah, our our vision really is to become a world-renowned and recognized alternative education system that is truly aligned with the needs of today's
0: world. I think a key area that you touched on is partnership. Um, That is really where we're going in this time period, because like anything, you have to be able to see how this can connect to so many different areas of the world and so many spaces and then connecting to possibly also like physical spaces, but using your model. So creating this as a, a system that is a model for other schools or other types of centers to take on. And what I was thinking too, as you said, partnering with like universities, there's always like this practical question because we live in a world of like the credits and transcripts to go to college. So how do you kind of market also to families of all the avenues of where students can go after, col- or after your high school experience and what they have like on paper to take with them? So just kind of curious about that
1: yeah that's a big question right that everyone in this space asks is what about universities um so the answer to that is nuance there's there's levels to it on, 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 on the basic the shortest answer to that is the it depends on where in the world that you're targeting higher education so for instance in the united states an increasing number of universities are becoming test optional uh, there's so many schools that do mastery-based, project-based planning. We certainly you have one of the largest homeschooling markets in the world. So natural universities are far more progressive in their admission system. And many of them do a very contextual kind of admission of the learner to them their class. So the U.S. is almost not an issue when it comes to this, this question. And then globally, we have uh, different trends. So in the U.K., the vast majority of universities still require some kind of a qualification, like APs or IB or A levels, whatever that qualification might be, um, and in, in some other countries, you have Ministry of Education laws that university can accept a student unless they have equivalency, which means they their diploma wherever it came from is kind of equivalent to what they would have learned if they went to high school in that country. And so, you know, you go on and on. There's all kinds of regulations in different places that have different. So the way that we've tackled this challenge is really a combination of things. First of all, every learner gets personalized pathway advisory from the moment they join our school. So throughout all four years, they're getting the advisory and expertise that they need. They also participate in workshops, uh, pathway you. advisory workshops where we cover things ranging from resume and portfolio developments, career building skills, all the way to understanding global university requirements and how to prepare for things like SATs. Um, we benchmark some of our advanced credit areas against the AP uh, curriculum. So advanced biological uh, sciences for us, for instance, is benchmarked to kind of the content of AP biology. We still teach it in a project-based interdisciplinary way and we don't do any exam prep, but uh, it gives our learners a bit of the knowledge grounding for them to then be able to potentially study AP exams and take them if they're going to one of those countries where they need those qualifications. Uh, as a test. And um, last but not least, the uh, really most exciting uh, way of dealing with this has been partnerships with universities directly. So we've been uh, increasingly collaborating with a number of progressive and traditional universities. Uh, some of them, you know, are in discussions where some of them want to offer scholarships to our learners, for instance, and um, uh, at the very least, it allows them to understand our model and ensure that, you know, there's pathways open to our learners. But really most exciting is when we get to partner with progressive universities that have a very similar model, mission, and ethos as us, because we know that learners who thrive at our high school will thrive at universities that also do project-based and municipal. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we approach that challenge.
0: I love that because there's so many different ways that you can accommodate for each learner, family, their track. And the partnership, again, is so incredible because you have to be able to, I think, influence even higher ed. Like your program and how you build those relationships is influencing higher ed because we do want to see that movement, right? We want to see the higher ed starting to become more progressive because they both funnel into each other, right? The high school and the higher ed. And I'm still like at a traditional model, like college preparatory school, and it just always feels like the colleges drive our education. So when we want to try to do something progressive, there's only so many steps forward we can go. So I like that. Um, Another kind of area to touch on is I know that you're kind of um, not teachers, but learning facilitators, and you also have like experts that work with students, work with learners. So can you tell us a little bit about the relationship of learners and the adults that are kind of Mentoring, guiding them through the curriculum, but also through their projects um, and internships.
1: This was a key part of the mission. You know, when we're reimagining the education system, you inevitably reimagine the role of the educator, and the role of the adults that are guiding the learners towards certain outcomes.
0: So in our
1: case, we kind of parsed out the role of the educator, we split it into multiple different roles. So traditionally teachers do everything from curriculum design, slides, all the way to actually teaching and then grading and then admin and everything in between, right? So, and, and that works uh, to some extent, but we've seen the incredible uh, uh, burden that has put on a lot of our educators who are now overworked and, and And it's also lots of different skill sets that we're assuming one person has. Uh, so what we've done is we've uh, created different kinds of roles. of so Educators, we have our learning designers that actually design and the learning journeys, the projects, the challenges that learners do. We have learning facilitators who facilitate this experience and coach learners on kind of uh, personalizing that further into their projects. We have industry mentors. These are experts that have full-time roles in industry, in different industries, and we work with them a few hours a week or well, an hour a week for them to mentor our young, young minds. And the industry mentors are often aligned with the challenge that we're doing that term. So if we're doing a challenge on food, energy, water security, then the mentor will be an expert in that field and providing kind of real world expertise to learners as they work on tackling that challenge. And um, when we sometimes, you know, work with someone that's supporting with assessments to reduce the administrative burden on educators doing all the the project-based assessments, as well, and we have learning administrators who help from an admin perspective and a tech perspective. So it's um, really kind of splitting up the role of the educator into different roles. It ultimately improves the learning experience for the learner because it really optimizes it for them in that you have the best learning designers just focusing on getting that learning design absolutely amazing. And that's something that a lot of educators wouldn't necessarily have time for if they're also teaching several classes. And the facilitators can just focus on facilitating. And the end goal is that you just end up with a much more quality learning experience, even at
0: scale. And thank you for highlighting how much uh, teachers do. (laughs) So all of the hats that teachers wear. And when you just explain that and someone's thinking about, oh my goodness, like if they're not in the industry, they're like, I never realized a teacher did all of those things. I just thought they were up in front of a class You know, teaching a lesson, but there's so much behind the scenes and then there's so much like later that you have to do. So I love the idea of working with um, experts as well, because then the learners can actually see how their work is applied to the real world, right? And how it maybe inspires them to get into a certain career path. And I love that, you know, these mentors offer their time to do that as they're working full time in the industry. So, so many innovative ideas. I often say 21st century learning is not about the technology solely. Those are tools like an online school. Obviously, you need the technology. It's the mindset. You have to have a new mindset. You have to think more outside the box, collaboratively, like you're talking about partnerships. What really matters for people to thrive? We want individuals thriving, you know, as adults and being leaders in the world. We don't want them just like kind of just learning a bunch of information, not sure what they want to do. So if you get them while they're in high school and have that human flourishing piece, they're going to be more equipped to be these thriving adults in um, society. So thank you so much. I just want to um end this with any final words about School of Humanity, just education in general, moving, you know, into the future, and then share any contact information or how You know, our listeners can find more about School of Humanity or contact you, and I'll put all of that in the show notes.
1: Thank you so much. No, I just, I guess, really final thoughts is that we all play a role in this education system, whether you're a parent, educator, uh, regulator, accreditor, it's a system. So we need everyone kind of pulling in a certain vision and direction um, for us to see the change that we need. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, so thank you again. Um, if, you know, we're always open to exploring collaboration opportunities and partnerships. And of course, if parents are listening in, you can go on our website and um, uh, and learn more about the model and curriculum and see if it's a fit for for your child. Um, and you can, I'm sure, put the website on in the show notes. That it's, if you just Google "School of Humanity," uh, it will come up as well.
0: Thank you so much. This has been such a joy talking with you and highlighting your school I learned so much more than I learned in the conference in June so thank you for taking the time to come on the show and share all about School of Humanity
1: thank you for having me
0: appreciate it
1: thank you bye have
0: a great day thank you you too Bye bye Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.